Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Public Work. Uh, this is a public humanities podcast that's put together by some of the good people at the John Nicholas Brown Center for Public Humanities and Cultural Heritage at Brown University. The specific good people are Jim McGrath, that's me. And Amelia Golcheski, that's me. So, and, go ahead. And this <laughs> week, we're diving into the last of our Gallery Lab interviews, and we're talking to the women behind Moon House. Yes, and Moon House is a... a Moonhouse is, <laughs> let me restart that, a um, uh, really interesting uh, series of, of public programming uh, that was around ideas of witch culture and astrology and sort of the reception of astrology. And it was the creation of this um, really engaging and, and compelling feminist space that explored those issues and other issues. So the, the two people who put that together are Rika Maestas and Julia Renau. Um, or Renault, as she is more formally known, uh, correctly known. And so one of the things that they both did with us before we recorded was asked us to get our natal astrology charts. So we are looking at those right now. Um, Amelia, what are you seeing on your chart? Um, you're sighing heavily, so that that's always a good sign. Yeah, um, this is really a great exercise for anybody who wants some words to like justify their existence. I'm a Capricorn. I'm a goat, delightfully stubborn. I'm also a Capricorn rising. So I'm doubly Capricorn. Says I like to pare things down, take pleasure in simple things in life. I'm very ambitious. Um, I think all this checks out. What about you, Jim? What do you see? <laughs> well, um, as we get into in the episode, I'm a Scorpio. Um, so that's a thing uh, that most people who've spent more than five seconds with me will probably figure out if they know anything about Scorpios or astro astrological signs. So we're known for our intensity. Um, our weaknesses are that we are suspicious, defiant, extremist, and sometimes vindictive. That all checks out 100%. Um, and then in terms of rising signs and other things, I am a Leo rising and my moon sign is an Aries. Uh, but as with most Scorpios, the Scorpio is at the center stage and it's all things Scorpio. Um, and I, I enjoy Scorpio memes and all of the, the various terrible things that are said about Scorpios, uh, in jest, not the, the actual horrible things that some Scorpios do or some people do. Um, but yeah, we, we get into our relationship with these sorts of things. Uh, we hear a lot about the conception behind um, the the events that were put together as part of Moonhouse and, and what might be next and the, the surprisingly, um, well, to the organizers, but I think most of us who heard about this project were like, yeah, this is going to be awesome, but the surprisingly positive uh, reception that it got on campus uh, as part of the Gallery Lab series, I think it was one of the, the more successful in terms of attendance events. Not the other ones weren't successful in, in many other different ways, but there were a lot of people who came out for this one. Um, anything else about your signs or... I gotta say, it says she is honest, reserved, sir. I'm a finish. Here's the closer. She can work in the public domain. Whoa. So, public humanities, Capricorn, here we are. Um, in all seriousness, talking to Julia and Rika and hearing about the intention behind creating this space that really was used and, and 
inhabited by people across the university and creating it from, you know, really just wanting to create a safe space for people from all walks of life, I think, really a successful program and community building. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Sorry, now I am distracted by my own uh, natal chart. And uh, it starts out great. Scorpio, simply never give up. And then uh, gets into uh, the fact that trauma seems to follow us wherever we go. When we learn optimism, instead of expecting the worst, we find that we possess amazing regenerative powers. Uh, jury's still out on that part. I'm, I'm totally on board with the, <laughs> the earlier stuff that was uh, in there. So, yeah, um, I think Amelia and I are just going to get really bummed out, but then also find really insightful and interesting things in, the, in these natal charts. Um, we should have looked at these while Julia and Rico were still here <laughs> because now we're like, oh no. oh no. And they are uh, extremely great at, at sort of reading and interpreting the stuff. And we, we get into a bit of that in the episode as well. Um, so yeah, this has been your astrological introduction. <laughs> Edition of public work. Yes. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the show. We will be uh, talking through our natal charts and we'll see you next week on public work. And if you want to check in with us before the next episode drops, you can follow us on Twitter at Public Work Pod, or you can find us on the old electronic mailbox at publicworkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. And here is Moonhouse. Hi, I'm Jim McGrath, and I am a Scorpio. Uh, with a Leo rising and an Aries moon. Hi, I'm Amelia Golcheski. I'm a Capricorn with a Gemini rising and a Capricorn moon. Hello, I am Julia Renault, and I am a Pisces with a Taurus rising and a Leo moon. Hi, I'm Rika Maestas, and I am a Sagittarius with a Aries moon and Cancer rising. And that's it for this week of Public Life. <laughs> now, um, so we're here talking uh, to the, the, would you call yourselves curators, organizers? Hosts. Hosts, Hosts mm -hmm. thank you. Uh, of Moonhouse, uh, spelled H-A-U-S, uh, which is an in, was an installation and event series that explored contemporary popular witch culture, uh, initiating social meaning-making experience and embracing the many complicated constructs of the feminine. Um, and that's from the official description on the Gallery Lab uh website so this is another episode in our gallery lab series so thanks so much for being here uh maybe we'll start with um what is moon house it's a great question it really is thank and, you and thank you for having us um we're <laughs> yeah. delighted to be here um yeah so i mean i think you had the kind of concrete description correct that it was an installation and event series um it was also an invitation I would say, um, to consider how traditions of wisdom and practices like astrology, crystal healing, and earth magic inform how we make sense of ourselves and each other and the world around us. Um, that was another official description. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we were... I think also important in thinking about Moonhouse is the word is that we chose to frame ourselves as hosts and we chose to frame the people that shared in Moonhouse with us as companions. Um, that it was a kind of conscious community building exercise in a way and a relational experiment in a way. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I'm on a concrete level to 
for those of you who didn't get to experience Moonhouse in the Flesh, it was um, a space that we decked out that was kind of like a living room, but a little bit off. We had a beautiful fireplace situation. We had information about astrological signs and an astrology-themed, witch-themed library, um, crafting station, snacks, kitchen. It was great. And there were three events that were the main ways for people to interact with this space. And the first one was a slumber party and seance, which was really more of a guided med meditation. We were getting in contact rather than dealing with all of the spirits that we could have summoned in the space that we were in, um, trying to summon the spirits of the kindest, most benevolent and creative versions of ourselves to try to carry out into the, into the world. Um, and then the next event was open house, which uh, we had worksheets set up so people could explore their birth charts, um, either by themselves or with a partner, and also craft to adorn our altar for spring, which then we um, disassembled. Yeah, we did. Our, our third event was a spring equinox ceremony and celebration. Um, so that involved, uh, it was a loose hang, you know, but uh, it was also just, we had a ritual in which we all wrote intentions for the spring. We read them aloud. We talked about what spring equinox meant. Um, and then we went and kind of released all of that into the world. So, and that involved taking things that had been adorning the altar and uh, companions were invited to take them, those items with them. Um, so there was an element of exchange there. Right. Including crystals. We had crystals in the space the whole time. For the intentions, people were asked to infuse these crystals with their intentions. We had crystal water with flower petals in it. And then we threw it out into the garden. It was beautiful. It was lovely. It was also like 40 degrees. <laughs> um, <laughs> we both wore floral jumpsuits while we did it. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. So, how did you all decide to host a community building experience centered around contemporary witch culture? Well, a lot of it is um, coming out of our public humanities background where we're thinking about how to actually make humanities public, so to speak, um, or create a space where uh, there can be kind of genuine community engagement with a topic that's not really mired in different power dynamics or didactic notions of what is right or what's not right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was really important to both of us that the space not be prescriptive in any way. Um, having a genuine sense that whatever anyone took from the space, whether that was simply just having some Cheez-Its or like making a funny little pipe cleaner animal or having a real spiritual quest, like all of that was equally valid. Um, and in addition to kind of to it coming out of our more academic or cerebral interests, it, the event itself really came out of Rika and I just talking, um, you know, which is really, I found lovely in terms of fueling the project that it actually is, came from conversations we were having. And at a certain point, we just said, oh, wait, should we actually do something with this? Because also, um, you know, I lived in Brooklyn for seven years. Rika lived in L.A. Um, I have a lot of or one friend in particular who served as an advisor to us, but other friends as well who are who are healers and you know, have really explored practices like astrology, tarot, Reiki, 
crystal reading ceremony. I mean, you know, the list can go on. Um, but I myself experienced this cultural resurgence of these sort of spiritual practices among communities of women that I'm friends with. Um, and that friend and I, who's a healer now, she and I did this, we like made up this weird ceremony in like 2013 where we were like trying to release old boyfriends and we came up with this whole thing where we were like burning pieces of paper and throwing them into the East River and just, you know, that, that that's the kind of movement that I feel like this, that Moon House is trying to, or, or was engaging with. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think it was truly a collaboration in that sense and that it was really coming out of conversations we were having as people, not necessarily as something that we were going to manifest in any way. Um, and then when we did decide to manifest it, it was kind of uh, kind of an LOL, wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if we did this situation? And then the joke became more and more serious, yeah. and then it happened. <laughs> yeah. And then it wasn't a joke anymore. Right. But it still was a joke right. a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, and that's, I mean, I, I love the idea of a joke that you take seriously and, and, and go through that. That's right in my wheelhouse. Um, but um, the, how how do you, because it's interesting, like, where you were earlier talking about, like, well, yeah, we're public humanities people. We're, we're creating a space to engage with, with various publics. But I could imagine, and knowing from, from some other people um, in the program or, or just people doing this sort of work, that this looks different from other kinds of uh, public humanities work, uh, both in terms of the the content um, mm-hmm. and then the methodology. So um, I don't know. I, I kind of it's kind of a more of a comment than a question, which is the, <laughs> the terrible uh, curse that I'm burdened with uh, in life. But um, I mean, how d- d- were you in sort of bringing this to life? Did that seem like something you were trying to navigate or did it just feel like, no, we want to do this thing like this? This seems like a thing we're invested in. I think initially when we decided we were going to do it and manifest it in space, there was some discussion of how traditional to go with it and how much it should look like an exhibit versus an art space versus somewhere people can sit, a living room. Um, and it, a lot of a lot of the public humanities methodology kind of came into play in the sense that we really wanted to be more exper- experimental with it. In a lot of ways. Um. Yeah, I mean, I have a, you know, I, I've done a lot of theater, um, and Rika has, uh, is really interested in performance art and installation art, and I am as well. And so I think it never made sense to me or really to us to be restrictive in our methodology in that way, in terms of what sorts of um, cues and visual discourses or like spatial dynamics that we were drawing on. So, um, like Rika said, there are a lot of ways that we were trying to think about to heighten the space or somehow indicate to people that it wasn't just all of our furniture in a gallery. So um, that included smell. We have, I have like one of those essential oil vaporizers and we were just pumping sage oil into the space, um, which is our gift. <laughs> it continues in that space. Um, but, you know, so we thought about smell. We thought about sound. Um, we th- also thought about... I think the most explicitly like gallery-esque thing we had happening were little labels, like like wall text. Um, but and we went back and forth on those. We talked to Steve Lubar, who's a professor in our program, about what sort of um, tone to strike with those. But we ended up having them be just little invitations in different parts of the space to, you know, 
say, companions, sit here, rest, have a snack, just um, ways to animate the space and have people respond to it in a way that was more than kind of just a neutral domestic space, but also, again, not try to not have it feel institutional or prescriptive. Right. And I think something that played into that um, definitely was active hosting as well. We had we had labels inviting people to take advantage of the space in certain ways. Uh, but Julia and I were also there the entire time and in these kind of matching outfits to signal that we were in some way um, affiliated with the space um, or knew what was happening, uh, could introduce you to the space and did. Um which I think is, should be a part of public humanities, oh could gosh. be a part of public humanities, yeah. um, but really helps people make connections to the content that we were asking them to connect to because it's engaged in a conversation and it's um, facilitated by somebody who wants you to be there and cares about your presence. Yeah. I mean, just to echo that, like, I, I think there's so much hand wringing and, you know, any sort of for institutions that are trying to retain audience or attract audience and, you know, people act like it's this enormous problem that's impossible to solve. And it's actually like, no, what you need to do is have someone stand at the door who genuinely wants people to come in and engage with them and orient them to the space. Because how much more likely are you to stay somewhere if you've had a sustained interaction with someone and you feel like they care about you and they care about you being there? And I think it was meaningful that it was a it was a lesson to me that people responded so well to that, mm-hmm. um, and it was really nice because we had a lot of different ways people could engage. You know, so we saw a lot of people do a lot of different things in the space. Do you think the subject matter, or you know, the context for which you were building this community space, like helped bring people? One of the things that really struck me about Moonhouse was how diverse the community that came was, um, particularly more than just graduate students in public humanities at Brown University, quite a few undergrads, um, uh, men and women. I thought that was interesting. How did you guys kind of open it up to the campus community at large? At, we we did the very basic thing of putting it in campus mail and putting up a few posters. Um, but I agree with you that I think the subject matter did a lot of the facilitating for us because a lot of the people that came in said that they were really interested in astrology. They enjoyed astrology. Um, they wanted to learn more about astrology or wanted to talk to other people about astrology. We were so delighted and Mm -hmm. honestly shocked to see the response that we got. And it was kind of like we put out this little bat signal, you know, it's like we, um, just set kind of we're whistling on this frequency that actually a lot of people are listening to right now. And which isn't surprising. I mean, there are so many trend pieces about this. Like It's like the New York Times is on the beat, like everyone's on the beat. Yeah. And I, I, I guess that kind of leads into this question of like, were there like the reception of astrology and, and people interested in crystals and, and sort of readings and things like that. It's sort of has this long history, right? Um, 
Like I, I, th- I think about sort of like Order of the Golden Dawn stuff from the Victorian era, which mm-hmm. is very weird and, and sort of troubling in certain ways. And then you have these contemporary um, contexts. And uh, so, for example, um, Jessica Crispin's book on uh, creativity and, and the tarot card is a, is a book that I like and, and have been really interested in. Um, so rather than being like, why do you think everyone in 2018 or, or this many people in 2018 are, are interested in it? Like what for you, what seems to resonate about these interests with the lives you're living? Yeah, I guess I'll end the question yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have drawn a lot of my language recently for this from a really compelling Refinery29 article um, that I've kind of circulated amongst us, but it is by, let's see, who are you? Amelia... Amelia Gulcheski. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um, but there's a number of reasons that I think we talked about really at length when we were planning this, but it's very succinct in this article where there's this element of self-trust and self-analysis and reflection that's really compelling, especially in the times that we find ourselves in where there's a lot of turnover and a lot of flux and a lot of instability and um, not a lot of larger structures of any kind that we can put a lot of faith in uh, for an extended period of time, that is. It can also be really grounding in the sense that you can read something if it resonates with you or echoes something that you've already been thinking, it feels validating and you can kind of accept the thing that you've been thinking about as not not just you being neurotic or <laughs> overthinking things. It feels as though there is some larger structure that um, is validating for what you said. Yeah. But I think we're also interested in the fact that if something doesn't resonate with you, you can basically not blow it off, but that, um, you know, that I, I guess the thesis, of, one of the theses of Moonhouse was that um, people are using these kind of very yeah long and complex traditions um to make meaning for themselves with themselves and with other people you know how do these things function relationally in terms of meaning making and um you know and it's and it's interesting like these like as an idea of faith you know um what what are the implications of believing in these things or not? Or how much do you have to believe in them? Um, and, and what we were arguing was that you don't really have to believe in them, but that there's there you can use these, or not use these, but you can engage with these practices as ways to sort out what you really do think. Um, and we were, you know, we, we did want to be respectful of and conscious of the fact that these are, again, like storied traditions, which many people um, have dedicated their lives to. I mean, we're not... We are, we're interested in these practices. We are not trained practitioners ourselves, but that's also an interesting thing. I mean, I, I mentioned my friend, her name is Elisa Jaquim earlier, and um, she's a healer and an intuitive and a Reiki master. And we talked to her about this question of authority, you know, like who does have authority um, in these practices? And I, you know, she encouraged us to, before we led rituals, for example, to ask permission you know, from each other, from ourselves, from whatever spirits we were engaging with. And I think that was really important to us to take seriously what we were doing in that sense, that we didn't want to be 
perceived of as making fun of anyone or making fun of any particular tradition. And when we did do a ritual, when we did ask other people to engage with us in a ritual, we wanted to really actually, we were actually doing a ritual and we wanted to um, have that be meaningful. Right. And also because it is such a long history and a really global history of looking to the stars to find some kind of meaning on earth. Um, also didn't want to assert that this was the only way to do this or um, that we had any kind of authority about the best way to do this. Uh, We had some really wonderful productive conversations with people who practice different kinds of astrology Mm -hmm. than the the normative one we were kind of framing our space around. And it was, it's wonderful. Uh, Just the variety is something that we wanted to embrace. And part of that is by lessening our sense of authority over the space. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I'm really interested in this conversation about authority and kind of thinking back to when I was growing up and like in the newspaper, you know, they'd print your horoscopes and it was always treated as this thing like, "Ah, yeah, horoscopes will tell you something because they're so um, malleable for any situation. Mm -hmm. Right. But now we're in this time where I think people our age, millennials, are really finding some meaning in it, and there's something powerful in it, and it's no longer just this thing you make fun of women for reading, Mm -hmm. like, in the doctor's office. And so I'm wondering, like, kind of the feminist methodology behind kind of the astrology movement right now, and, and what you brought to the Moon House table kind of with a feminist reading of contemporary astrological practices. Yeah, I mean, this, you've identified a a kind of central element of the conversation Rika and I were having, and, and it's, I, the way that the kind of gender politics of the space inform the space, in the end, I, I was really interested in the way it ended up shaking out. I mean, um, I think, you know, Rika and I, and Jim, and the, um, what the passage that you read at the beginning, the formal description, it included a line about exploring the many elements of the feminine. And that's something that Rika and I went back and forth about in terms of like gender essentialism and like, what does that really mean? Um, And how overt do we make the sense of the quote unquote feminine in this space? Um, But at the same time, we were really interested in making this in engaging with the fact that these discourses have been gendered and labeled as feminine in a way to dismiss them. And that, um, you know, and, and also the genuine fact that, um, at least the people who are most publicly into them do tend to identify as women. So I think the way it ended up, I mean, also I am a deep feminist and I believe you are as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it it was very important to us to engage with this, um, but not in a way that made anyone who identified with any particular gender feel unwelcome or like that their understanding of their gender and what the feminine means wasn't recognized or was somehow, you know, rejected. Um, So I think the way it it really, the idea of the feminine really informed our aesthetic. our posters were very, we could design them, they were gorgeous. They're very floral, very pink, as was the space. Um, and we also 
the Moon House Library that Rika mentioned earlier. It was basically all the books that I own uh, by women, including two books by my grandmother, including my undergraduate thesis, including a short story my sister had published, but also like including Toni Morrison, Maggie Nelson, um, you know. I, I really just kind of drew on all the badass women in my library and then supplemented that with books from Brown's library um, on astrology, the occult, crystals, etc. Um, so those were two kind of obvious places in the space. I don't know if you want to. Um, I, I mean, just kind of informing the methodology behind yeah. where we were coming from. Um, I'm really interested, and I think Julia is too, in the possibility for female spaces and for things that have been traditionally attributed to women in potentially a pejorative sense, um, leaning into those things yeah. and thinking about the, the way those things can be positive and really strong and bonding. Mm-hmm. Um, so astrology was one of those, absolutely. And um, I think there is a mode in which currently current contemporary astrology it does appeal to both men and women but um there there is a sense that it is kind of a creation governed by women Mm -hmm. in some sense or governed by the feminine or female identified um which is very necessary in (laughs) the world we live in uh that has been and is governed by the patriarchy in such intense and problematic ways Mm -hmm. um so that was, I think, something that was also playing into wanting to make Moonhouse into an overtly feminine, for whatever that means, space um, to kind of assert that power in community. There is a way in which people who aren't as aren't given the opportunity as often to express themselves through the languages we were engaging with, through the kind of like softness, tenderness, sweetness that we were trying to bring out, that they felt particularly welcomed by and excited by this space. Um, We had a lot of very sincere responses from like 19 year old men. And I was touched by that and did not anticipate it. So I think there was a a way in which I, I was glad that we didn't make We didn't say like, this is a girl space, you know, like I I was glad that we made it a space where people of all genders hopefully felt welcomed and no one of any one gender felt singled out. But the energy, the energy and the aesthetic and the kind of subliminal messaging was like deeply feminist. Well, I I thought it would be cool to kind of bookend with just because we started talking about astrological signs and and I know that's been an interest. And and, um, when I went to one of the events that was one of the things that that I was interested in talking about and it was also funny that Rika you mentioned that one of the first things I said to you was that I was Scorpio like when we met which is very Jim McGrath uh and very Scorpio and and it's a real chicken egg situation <laughs> with, which came first um but uh I mean unless Amelia do you have anything else or do you want to kind of dive into no some I, astrological I say stuff? dive in but it's just so cool that Moonhouse came out of like female friendship. Yeah, I'm like y'all kicked butt. Oh, Thank go you, Moonhouse ladies. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, so, so like how and how did you both sort of get invested or or start thinking more or engaging more with astrological signs and rising signs and um, what's the other sign? Water sign. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of parts a lot of different signs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we yeah. we talk. At the beginning, we introduced our sun sign, our ascendant, our rising sign, and our moon. But, yeah. 
Yeah. And for me, the way I've been conceptualizing those three things is kind of like a Fabergé egg in some way, where like the outside part of the egg is your rising sign, and that's the way other people perceive you. And then the middle part of the egg is the way you form your own identity, and that's your sun sign. And then the most internal part is your moon sign. And those are the things that are just so intuitive to you that you don't even think of as traits. You just think of as kind of the way the world exists and the way you exist in the world. Um, and you know, there's, there's lots of different houses and planets and all kinds of stuff that you can get really granularly into and degrees. Wow. There's a lot, but, um, I think those three are really useful for adding a little bit of depth to your astrological sign, your sun sign. If maybe you feel it doesn't describe you completely or you just want a little bit more background. Yeah. Yeah. And we are talking here about the kind of standard Western astrology um, in 2018. And obviously there's Vedic astrology and many other astrological traditions as well. Right. Of course. So Rika, you're Sagittarius with Cancer Rising and Aries Moon. Do you ever feel, do you feel like that sums you up? Do you ever feel in, I don't want to say conflict, but that maybe one part of it rings more true than the other? Mm, right. Yeah. I very much identify as a Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. I had this weird moment where my, I asked my mom when I was born so I could do my birth chart and she gave me a time and I, I, I read my birth chart for that time and I was like, oh man, that's, that's me. That's sad, but that's me. And then she was like, oh, just kidding. You weren't born at that time. You were born at a different time. So I redid it and I was still like, that's me. But this time <laughs> it felt more realistic are less uh, negative, which is interesting because both of them I was invested enough in to, to see myself reflected in them, which is some people's critique of astrology, I think is a strength of astrology mm-hmm. um, that you can kind of identify with a lot of different things and then with a lot of different people through those things. Um, but yes, to answer your question in short form, I very much identify with that. It's like three different ways of saying very impatient and likes to escape and (laughs) it feels right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I also identify with mine. The first time my birth chart was ever read was by a friend of a friend in a bar in Park Slope, which feels right, um, for this cultural moment. Um, and I've had other ad hoc birth chart readings by myself and by others. I've never actually had my chart done by an astrologer, which I would love to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we, one of the nice things about astrology is that everyone has a sign. I mean, that's why it's such a cliche pickup line. That's also why everyone who walked into our space, like they had something to talk about because you're going to have you were you were born at some point. Um, I've also I've always identified with Pisces in terms of being pretty emotional, um, kind of drawn in many different directions. Pisces is the twelfth sign of the zodiac; it encompasses all. It's a water sign, uh, as well as being mutable. So really, kind of like the most fluid, flaky, dreamy <laughs> sign you can imagine. Um, but I also can be pretty. Uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but kind of self-directed. And that's my Taurus rising. It's an earth sign, um, pretty pragmatic, steady going. And then I also can be extremely performative. Shout out to my theater past, which I mentioned before. So my Leo moon, that's where 
I see that coming in. Yeah, the Rika's making jazz hands right now. Um, you know, so, it, but, you know, similar to Rika, it's the sort of thing where um, every aspect that you learn about, I mean, a skeptic or someone who's not as receptive to these discourses would be like, oh, well, you could say that about anything, but it's kind of like, okay, but why is that a reason to dismiss it? Like, <laughs> we, we still are using, uh, or we still are... the naming different things in your chart still does help you think about yourself in different ways. So, yeah. yeah and I, I think that's something that I was very much skeptical about astrology when I, before I met people who were like really into it. And I think um, in part from that eighties cliche of the like sleazy club, people mm -hmm. being like, what's your sign? Mm -hmm. And like picking that up, like when I was a kid from like weird eighties pop culture, but like the, I think one of the moments where I was starting to think more about it was I have a, a good friend of mine who I went to grad school with gave, did a astrological reading in a bar in Alston. Mm -hmm. um, I'm from Brooklyn, but Alston, Massachusetts is kind of like a hipstery. This is the silhouette lounge, which is my mm -hmm. home away from home. Mm -hmm. um, so the ideal place to do an astrological reading. Um, but, and it, like one of the things I think is really interesting about the applications of astrology and, and tarot in particular for me is like, it, it kind of, the more interesting stuff comes from like a f kind of reading and interpretation and, and conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not always just directed um, internally, although it can be like if you're, you're sort of in a, a contemplative self-reflective moment, but, but it's kind of a, an interesting skill. So maybe that's why like there's a lot of grad students and academics who seem uh, interested in it, but it's not sort of limited to those institutional contexts too. So I, I don't know, it like has that, those dimensions of like reading and sort of writing, analyzing and communication do, do those within the context of astrology kind of like extend outward into other pursuits or kind of go back inward. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, a way that I've thought about, all these discourses is like different poetic languages, you know, um, or, I mean, I think what you said just now about, I mean, just the word reading, like the idea of reading and reading someone else and having someone read you, you know, what does that mean? And obviously there's also that a, a whole negative connotation to that. Sure. Um, but, you know, ideally it really is an exchange and a dialogue and a, and a way to kind of, to poetic or intuitively analyze things. Um, and, and things being your life and being how you make sense of the world and yourself. Um, but that, I mean, you can give yourself readings too, obviously. Um, but we were interested in the space in, in encouraging conversation. And we had specific prompts right. um, around that, that people could, you know, keep to themselves or, you know, there were, there were, I'm just thinking of two women that came in together that I think work at Brown and they just kind of cuddled up on some of our bean bags and had their cell phones with our handouts. And I think they brought up their birth charts and they were just chit chatting for 45 minutes. And I don't know what they were talking about. I don't know if they, how deep they went into the astrology element, but um, I think there is a very, I, I, I think we are very interested in it as a social activity. Right. And I think some of the early conversations we were having um, we're kind of remarking at astrology's resurgence and popularity in specifically where we were coming from. So Brooklyn and Los Angeles, um, and these like huge metropolitan centers where there are so many people. Um, and what we kind of 
decided on was that a lot of it had to do with really craving personal connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you are just reading your horoscope on your computer, it's still somebody else reading you. Of course, you can read your own birth chart, but for the most part, I think a lot of a lot of astrology is based in um, this mode of somebody else is telling you something very personal about yourself, but it's not reading you based on your appearance. It's not reading you based on any of this other superficial stuff that it gets really trying to be read on. It's being read on this kind of cosmic level where you can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that's such an important point because when astrology kind of came into my own life recently, it was from my best friend from college and after we graduated and we didn't live next door to each other anymore. So how do you stay connected with your people? And it was just reading each other's birth charts and letting each other know when what is in retrograde or mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which sounds like kind of silly. But it's an opportunity to, like, continuously check in with someone. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is an opportunity for connection, mm-hmm. which I think is something Moonhouse did so successfully. Thank you. Like, Thank we you. all know each other's signs now. I do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in great detail. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe just as a, a quick closing, um, for, for people who might be listening to this who are relatively new to um, the these kinds of topics, is there kind of a maybe a recommendation for getting started exploring this or, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how some of us have, have gotten into it. Um, like I know for me, one of the things that got me like hooked a bit more was uh, thinking about the, the Rider Waite Smith deck, the tarot deck and like the history of it and like how it's wasn't always called that. And, and, and the sort of openness of the interpretation and, and the sort of interesting dynamic between like histories of reading and, and connotations and, and flexibility and, and different use cases. But, um, so that would be like my recommendation for, for something to, to check out. And Jessica Christman's book is, is pretty interesting on that. Um, but if you had one yourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think, so we thought pretty carefully in the end about which specific traditions we were drawing on. And the ones I think that I listed at the beginning, like astrology, crystal healing, and earth magic, we chose those with the thought that, not that they're the most accessible necessarily, but that they're the most intuitive or more intuitive than something, than than a practice like tarot, which does have such, is steeped in, in so many, I mean, I know that all of them are steeped in specifics, but it's kind of hard if you don't know what all the cards mean, if you don't have a booklet to kind of like figure out how to do it. Um, so I think all of that is to say, I think I would advise people if they're interested to like check out my favorite astrologer, Shani Nicholas, that's C-H-A-N-I Nicholas. She's amazing. She's like a feminist astrologer. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think just like find out what your go on what is it caffeinastrology.com you can do your own birth chart you can find out your rising sign and your sun sign and other you know whatever else but then you can start reading your rising sign in addition to your sun sign when you're reading your horoscopes um i found that very enlightening um and yeah if thinking about like different crystals like because again those are um like even if you are not engaging with the crystal's particular energetic properties. They're beautiful, you know. So I think, um, yeah, that that's where at least the, those are the entry points that I find most intuitive. Right. Yeah. I 
I can also stress the um, usefulness of cafe astrology as a really easy entry point, but I want to say that you do need to know what time you were born. Good point. You can do kind of a basic version if you don't know what time you were born, um, but in order to get the big, full feature length, deal with all the planets and the houses and stuff, that's when you need your time of birth. So go find your birth certificate, figure that out, uh, then visit Cafe Astrology. I also want to, I love, is it Shawnee or Chani? I, I said Chani, but Chani? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Chani Nicholas. If you're listening. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, However, I would advise that if you're, if you're, make sure that you're in a safe, comfortable space mm. that you can really reflect on what she has to say. Um, because in my experience, it has been kind of um, like therapy in that it is emotionally exhausting to read. Uh, it's too real sometimes. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, so if you're looking for something a little bit more flippant that you'll get a little bit out of, but it's not going to uh, rock your world. Um Sorry, that, that sounds mean. Uh, oh. Not going to really tear apart your whole sense of self. That's um, even more intense, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like the warning on the cigarettes. <laughs> Surgeon general. Too real. Too, yeah, too real. real. Too real. Um, I think Astro Twins are a really accessible entry point into it where they're going to they're gonna bring in stuff about, like, oh, when you should go, when you should binge eat. Or, like... <laughs> Um, just very, very real and flippant. It's kind of like the difference between girls and Broad City, mm. where, like, girls sometimes are like, oh, God, no, I want to die. And then sometimes with Broad City, you're like, oh, that's so real, but it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be aware. Be aware. If you want to weep, shine Nicholas. If you want to be like, ha-ha, my sign's so funny. <laughs> uh, I what think did it's I com. Uh, it's the Astro Twins, okay, I think. Okay, right. They're yeah. also on Refinery29, which is how I consume them. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Oh, with crystals. The thing that I really thought was cool about crystals is that when we were talking to Elisa, your friend, the healer, um, she was just like, oh, you know, you just arrange them where they want to go. They'll just tell you where they want to be. And I was like, wow. That is so easy. (laughs) I don't have to know any kind of cosmology Mm -hmm. to be able to interact Mm -hmm. with this thing. Also, quartz is just ubiquitous in New Mexico where I grew up. And all through childhood, everybody's like, oh, they hold a lot of energy. I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, But they're really easy in that sense because they their cosmology is that they hold what you put into them mm-hmm. and that they'll, they're just, they're going to be in the space they want to be. And that's all the maintenance you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is liberating. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow. Thank you guys <laughs> so much. I'm going to check out cafe astrology a little further. I'm going to check in on Chani Nicholas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yes. um, thank you all so much for talking about Moonhouse. I'm so excited to see the next iteration, hopefully soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for so having much. Us. It's been wonderful. Yeah. It has. <laughs> Bye. Oh.